this is section sorry not section this is chapter 3 of the holy quran verses 101 to 104 that i want to discuss with you today <clears throat> ya Allah all together 
and be not disunited. And remember Allah's favor to you. When you were enemies, then he united your hearts. So by his favor you became brethren. And you were on the brink of fire. Then he saved you from it. Thus Allah makes clear to you his messages that you may be guided. And if you look back at the history of Islam, you see that at the beginning, Muslims were few. And in Makkah they were persecuted, so they migrated to Medina. And when they arrived in Medina, they did not have anything. The Mahajuri, the, <coughs> the uh, emigrants, didn't have anything at all. They might have had a little bit of cash, but that was all. So how were they going to survive? So the Holy Prophet took one of the emigrants, and he took one of the inhabitants of Medina who had embraced Islam, who came to be known as the Ansar or the helpers, and said, today, the two of you are brothers. And he did it with all of them. So the Ansar, the helpers, took the emigrants home and said, here is my home. Here are my possessions, down to the number of pairs of shoes they had, and the clothing they had, and the chattel they had. And he said, you are my brother. Today, half is yours and half is mine. Pick which half you want. Take the things that suit you or you like. And the emigrants, they thanked them for, for their kindness, but they did not accept these gifts. Most of them were traders and merchants, so they asked for the way to the market and asked what sort of things sell well in Medina. And they went to the market and with the little money they had, they purchased whatever it was, and started trading. And in a short time, they became successful. But a part of their success was the fact that they knew they had this support from their brethren in the Ansar. They provided them with housing. They provided them with food until such time that these people could stand on their own two feet and look after themselves. And this is the advantage of unity. These are the same people who before the advent of Islam were fighting each other and killing each other. They would fight each other not for one year or two years or three years, but for generations. Something will happen and two tribes will come to, to war and then their children will fight and then their grandchildren will fight and so it would continue down the centuries because it was a matter of honor that they take revenge for the people who fell. So every time you had a fight, every time you had a battle, someone would die and then it will become a matter of honor for you 
to fight to avenge his death. There were two tribes of Medina who became Muslims, who'd been fighting each other for years, for such a long time that no one could even remember how long it was and why it was that they fought. <coughs> but the day they said, La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah, the Holy Prophet said, you are now brothers. All the old complaints against each other, anything that one did to the other, that should be forgotten and forgiven. Wipe the slate clean. Let's start anew. And although those Muslims were free, they were few, there was only a handful. The first time the Quraysh attacked Medina, all the Holy Prophet could muster was 330 for his army to defend Medina. And that included young men and old men. If someone had a sword, they didn't have a shield. If someone had one thing, they didn't have another. This army only had two horses to use during the, uh, the battle. But the Muslim community was a community as a whole. Men, women, children, old, young, anyone who could move. And here is a very good argument which Mudassar gives for the fact that uh, uh, the Holy Prophet couldn't have married Hazrat Aisha when she was six or nine or whatever the age was. That the Holy Prophet saw a young man following the army. So he said, come here. You're too young. How old are you? And the boy said, I think 14 or 15 or something like that. The Holy Prophet said, you're too young to go to battle. Go back home. You're not allowed to come. And yet, Hazrat Aisha joined that army in the battle and went to Badr. How could it be that she was 9 or 10 and she would be allowed to go to the battlefield when the Holy Prophet said to this boy, who was about 15 or so, that no, you're too young, you're not allowed to go. But that is a, is, a, is a side issue. The point I'm making is everyone was joining together. They all knew they were going to fight. They all knew they might die. But the cause was such that no one said he's from the Quraysh and he's from Mecca and I'm from the Ansar and I'm from Medina and I'm from this tribe, and uh, I'm from that tribe. And they faced an army which was four times their numbers, and well armed, with swords and shields and spears and bows and arrows and horses. The list is a long one. And they faced them and they fought, and they won. And this is what the Holy Quran is saying, that they held fast, to Allah's promise. And what was Allah's promise? That if you are united, you will be successful. But if you are disunited, and this is God's greatest favor on those people, and God goes on to say, remember I did you a favor. What was my favor? 
God doesn't mention the Holy Quran or anything else. God says, my favor to you was this, that I united your hearts. I made you into one community. Where there is nothing that this belongs to me and that belongs to me. These days we even fight over parking spaces and parking places. Forget about anything else. He's blocked me, she's blocked me, he's done this, he, she's done that. And these people took strangers home and said to them, you're a Muslim, so you're my brother, here are half my things. And to some extent, it happens in our community. Sometimes members from England go to Holland and they haven't seen those people before. We ring them and we say, this person is coming to Holland. He's going to be there for a week or two weeks or a weekend or whatever. They come to the airport. They receive them, they take them home, they keep them in their homes. They feed them for as long as they're going to stay and put them back on the plane. It happened to me when I went to Suriname or Trinidad or South Africa or Canada or Fiji or India. I went to Serinagar and uh, they didn't know I was coming. I took a taxi and went to uh, Dr. Kurshida Tarin's residence and he was at his clinic. And I went in and I introduced myself and he immediately went in and told his wife and made arrangements for me to stay. And they kept me there for about a week or so and fed me and showed me around and took me to the members' houses and things. Do you see that in any other community? Does anyone else do that? That the stranger comes and knocks on the door and comes in and says, I'm Shahid Aziz, I've come here. Does he go in and say to his wife, my brother from England has come. Make arrangements for him to, to sleep and eat and to go around and visit people. So there is still that spirit and this is why we spoke. But it is so sad when we look around that we see that overall the Muslim community, the Ummah is disunited. If we go back, let's not go back too far. Let's not go back hundreds of years. If we go back to the First World War, what happened? Muslims, I regret to say Sunni Muslims, joined the British Army. Who was this British Army fighting? Apart from the Germans and so on, they were fighting the Turks. And soldiers in the Indian Army had a neat trick. When they would arrive, they would shout, Allah the Turks would come out of their trenches thinking that they had received some support. And when they came out of their, those trenches, the Sunni Muslims of India would shoot down Sunni Muslims of Turkey. Who benefited? Did Turkey benefit from this? Whatever kind of Khilafat it was, we had a Khilafat. Whatever kind of United country it was, we had a country. 
that consisted of Turkey, that consisted of Iraq, that con consisted of uh, Syria, that consisted of Lebanon, that consisted of Jordan, that consisted of what is now Israel, that consisted of Saudi Arabia. All of that was one country. Why do you think Israel was created? How do you think Israel was created? Once Muslims started fighting each other, then British, after the First World War, took over some land and the French some other bits of it. For example, Lebanon was kept by the French and the British divided up uh, uh, the rest of it as protectorates amongst various Arab princes. They kept Palestine for themselves and as they left, created Israel. This is, you were on the brink of pit of fire. Because we've lost that unity, we are not falling into that pit of fire. That pit of fire is not necessarily in the next world. It starts here. And what has happened since then? Israel, that which, when it was created, was this big. Then, became that big, then became that big, and now it's that big. Why? Because of Muslim disunity. <coughs> Do you think that the economic power some Muslim countries have, if they use that, if they switched off their oil wells and said, we are withdrawing all our assets and funds from the United States and Canada uh, and uh, other countries and taking it back to uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, we much rather buy gold uh, and diamonds and use those as assets. Oh, we are withdrawing those assets and we are going to build a factory in Sudan to give 10,000 people a job. We are going to build a factory in uh, Pakistan to give 5,000 people a job. We are going to build a factory in Somalia to give 9,000 people a job. Those factories will run, those people will be employed, we sell the goods and the profit that we get, that is how we will make our money rather than stick it in American banks and earn interest. Do you think this problem of Israel will not be solved in 24 hours? When they switch off their oil wells after the last Arab-Israeli war, how long did it take the West to force Israel to withdraw their forces? Within one week, they'd gone back. But that was because there was a show of strength by the Muslim world. And the world saw that. Muslims are standing united together. But today, what is happening? Iraq attacks Iran. Why? United States asks them to. Iran retaliates. These days, in Iraq, Shias form the government and they start to persecute, persecute Sunnis. Sunnis rise up and they start killing Shias. But who is benefiting? 
is the man in the street, the common man, you or me, or the Ummah in general benefiting? In Yemen, Shias rise up against Sunnis for whatever reason. And other Sunnis are going and bombing them and killing them. And creating hatred and enmity between the people of that country. I've seen this happen. We in Pakistan have killed our own people. And in those places where we've done that, there is so much hatred for the rest of the Pakistani people. They don't want to stay in Pakistan anymore. But it's not, I don't want to dilate on the political aspects of these things. What I'm saying to you is that the consequences of disunity do not benefit any part, any section of the Muslim Ummah, any country of the Muslim Ummah. We all lose out. Whether it's Pakistan, whether it's Afghanistan, whether it's uh, uh, Saudi, uh, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, or whoever it is. In Syria, who is fighting who? Muslim is killing Muslim. And one reason they always give is that, oh, he's not a Muslim because his beard is not long enough. He's not a Muslim because his trousers are too long. He is not a Muslim because when he uh, uh, performs his ablutions before the praise, he only washes his hands up to there, arms up to there, and it should really be up to here. Because Muslim is not allowed to kill a Muslim. This is the first thing they do is you say, find some excuse and say so and so is not a Muslim. And this is why the Holy Prophet, and you have to admire his wisdom and his foresight. This is why he said, anyone who recites the prayer, anyone who prays in the same direction, he didn't say how they pray, whether they leave their hands open or they fold them, or whatever they do, pray in the same direction. Eat the meat we slaughter. You see, these are all practical things. There is no mention of any doctrine in there. There is no mention of the fact that Jannah, uh, whether it, it's spiritual or physical, whether the Holy Prophet went up to Mirage and that was physical or spiritual. Or what this verse of the Quran means and what that verse of the Quran dictates. Because all those things are matters which can be discussed and debated. And his own example, when during the heat of a battle, a Muslim, uh, uh, a Muslim killed an opponent. The Holy Prophet was so angry that this Muslim says, I wish I had never been born. That opponent, that combatant, had recited the Kalimah. But the Muslim, I think his name was Osama, killed him nonetheless. Because he knew 
he is reciting the kalima to save his life. And he put this to the Holy Prophet. I was about to kill him and he reciting the kalima to save his life. And what was the Holy Prophet's reply? Did you cut open his heart and look inside to see the reason for his addressing this Even at that critical stage, if someone recites the Kaliba, he is a Muslim. And today, what are we fighting over? Shia say, La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah Ali Wali. Well, he was a Wali. He was a friend of God. The Holy Prophet called him his right hand man. When he said, Tomorrow I'll give the standard to the one who will conquer Khamer uh, for me. Everyone was keen and in the morning they got up and who got the standard? It was Hazrat Ali. Who slept in the Holy Prophet's bed? Knowing that during the night the Quraysh are going to attack and try and slaughter whoever is lying there. Wasn't it Hazrat Ali Ta'ala? So what if someone calls him a wali of God? He was a wali of God. He was a friend of God. Why are you, you know, an English Muslim wanted to come here and he kept on saying, I'll come, I'll come. But he wouldn't. And eventually I asked him the reason. And he said, well, I don't want to come and be beaten up. So I said, why would we beat you up? And he said, well, he went to Iran and he embraced Islam and Shias taught him Islam. So he prays the way she has to. So wherever he lived, when the first mosque was opened there, he was so happy. He said, okay, some prayers I can say in congregation. He went there. And they saw him praying the way she has to. And they didn't even bother to let him finish his prayers. They started beating him up. He said, I'll spend my time, I'll spend my money, I'll come to your mosque only to be beaten up. Isn't it better I just stay at home? And it's the same with members of our Jamaat. Sometimes I say to people, uh, they say, no, it's no good becoming uh, a Hindu or a Sikh or a non-Muslim becoming uh, an MD, you're still a Kafir. I said, a Christian denigrates and abuses the Holy Prophet Muhammad and Islam. So does a Sikh, so does a Hindu. Do you not even concede the fact that if they embrace Islam, at least they will praise the Holy Prophet Muhammad and not denigrate him. But they say no. It's better that he remains a Christian. It's better he remains a Hindu. It's better he remains whatever religion that person. If that is your level of intolerance, how do you expect to succeed? When we preach Islam, we tell people Islam is the people of unity. What do they say? Well, you can't even unite amongst yourselves. Let alone different Muslim countries, Muslims within a country cannot unite. Let, let's look at Europe. <clears throat> Germany and Italy were fighting British and France and Holland and Belgium. All the Eastern European states were attacked by Germany or Russia. Today, 
We have a European Union. They have a single currency. If you got a visa for Portugal, you can go anywhere. They're moving towards a single market. People who about 50 years ago had two major wars killing each other, who could not tolerate, a British person could not tolerate the sight of a German. And today, they're united. Mm -hmm. And we, who share a common faith and a common understanding, we are so intolerant of small differences that we can't tolerate each other. And we are bombing and naming and killing. Making Muslims into orphans, making, making Muslims into widows. We always blame America or United Kingdom or this one or that one. Perhaps we should look into the mirror to see what the real 